I think one tends to look at hearing loss as some problems for older people. And of course it's not. I mean, my hearing started to go in the mm -hmm. 30s. Recognize that you have a hearing loss. Find ways of dealing with it. Talk to your loved mm -hmm. ones and the professionals and don't let it get you down. Welcome to Hearing Health Today. I'm your host, Craig Sharp. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the impact that cochlear implantation can have in the older adult population. We'll be speaking with Tony from the UK, who initially had reservations about getting a cochlear implant, but since undergoing surgery at the age of 74, he now only wishes he had done it sooner. We'll also hear a professional perspective from Dr. Isabel Monnier, an ENT surgeon in France who also specializes in audiology and is one of the leading experts exploring the link between hearing loss and cognition. This is a podcast for hearing health professionals. If you are a person with hearing loss or a member of the general public, please seek advice from your health professional about treatments for hearing loss. Tony, thanks for joining us on Hearing Health Today. It's a real pleasure to have you on the program. Ah, it's a pleasure for me too. How are you? I'm doing well. Just out of curiosity, where are you speaking to us from today? Well, I'm sitting here in uh, southeast London, Bromley. Uh, the sun is shining. It's 7.35. And uh, I've just had a cup of tea, so I'm feeling much better. So you're ready to go. Right. <laughs> sure am. <laughs> Tony, you have a really interesting hearing journey. And I was hoping for the benefit of the listeners around the world, you could just give a brief synopsis of your hearing journey when you first were diagnosed with hearing loss and, and how that progressed through to today. I believe I um, started losing my hearing because it was damaged when I worked in the shipyard. Uh, as an apprentice for five years. I worked in the workshop and on the ships. And of course, it was very noisy mm -hmm. and no health and safety then. But I had no idea. When I was in my mid-30s and I was married and I had we had a little girl, Lucy, she was three, and she complained that I wasn't answering her questions, that I wasn't taking any notice of her. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I had, I suppose, what you might call a robust discussion about this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, I decided that it really was time to have my hearing tested. So I uh, went to the GP. I was referred to the local audiology department. They tested my hearing. They gave me one hearing aid. Okay. After about 12 months, I had two hearing aids. And this is when you were in your late 30s, roughly? In my mid-late 30s, yes. Okay. This was back in the 70s. Okay. Uh, and over the years, my hearing just got worse and worse. And mm. I worked as an actor for 25 years, did a lot of television, uh, voiceovers, radio, documentaries, all kinds of things, theatre. And... One of the things I did was to sing to backing tracks, peer-recorded backing tracks for various BBC mm -hmm. programs and some commercial events. And the engineers began to say, um, you're not hearing the cue, Tony. Uh, I said, well, <laughs> well, can you just turn me up in my, um, in my, uh, in my cans? Uh, oh, well, you're as high as we can go for this, I'm sorry. Mm. And it was then uh, established that I 
my hearing loss was becoming worse and particularly the higher register. And were you wearing your hearing aids I like during that hearing, time? Uh, but I simply wasn't hearing those top notes. And so I was singing flat. Mm -hmm. uh, I was singing because I couldn't hear myself very well. I was singing louder. So I would sing worse, sharp, flat, anything yeah. but on the note. So uh, being a commercial venture, they rang my agent and said, um, got a problem with Tony. Can we find somebody else, please? <laughs> so that uh, rang a few bells for me, so I retrained. And the local audiology department closed. And so I okay. was referred to Guy's and St. Thomas's. And they fitted me okay. with very sophisticated hearing aids. And how old are you at this uh, point? Must have been in my 60s. So this went on for okay. some time. I'd been going there for about four years, and they'd be giving me mm -hmm. bigger and more powerful hearing aids. And then one day, uh, the audiologist said, uh, I'm sorry, Tony, but this is the best we can do. You've had the best hearing aids uh, that we can provide, but I would recommend that you have a cochlear implant. So that was when we mm -hmm. went on the journey to have a cochlear implant. So at that point... Uh, of course, I had to make the decision about that, which uh, uh, initially, like everybody else, my reaction was, I'm not having one of those funny things sticking out of the side of my head. Uh, so we went through a whole six-month period of, um, of assessment. And in July 2017, I had the switch on. And I've never looked at So was your main objection to a cochlear implant purely aesthetic yes. at the beginning? I okay. I think I associated those kind of things with people with all kinds of other problems, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I also associated them with people with a profound hearing loss. And what was interesting, mm -hmm. when we had our final interview with the consultant, as we were leaving, he said, you know, Tony, this is going to be a great benefit to you because you have a very profound hearing loss. And so when we got outside, I said to my wife, I didn't realize I had a profound hearing loss. And there was a long and significant pause. And Judy said, well, I did. Yes. <laughs> so it was then that I began to realize that the uh, hearing loss has a big effect on other people. I'm curious, why did you make the aesthetic distinction between a hearing aid and a cochlear implant? I didn't know very much about a cochlear implant. And it certainly was never yeah. mentioned before I went to Guy's. And so you, sure. the only thing I saw was people with these, mostly people with very little hair. So these things sticking out the side of their head and a great big thing behind their ear. And... I think that was, I just associated it with a, a, a massive disability. But then, of course, hearing and loss of hearing is a massive disability, which I discovered as I went mm -hmm. along. So walk me through your experience from counseling up to surgery and then what life was like after you got switched on of your cochlear implant. On our first meeting we spent with the audiologist, he just said, can you please write down all the things that you cannot do because of your hearing yeah. loss? And we filled more than 
two sides of an A4 pad. What were some of the things that you couldn't do? We used to go to the theatre a lot. I couldn't go because I mm -hmm. complained I couldn't hear, so Judy would go on her own. Uh, I couldn't listen to the radio. I couldn't hear music anymore. I have a very brief story about when I was a child, about 14, I lived on the Cumbrian coast up on the northwest coast of England. And mm -hmm. I used to go over on my bike to the seaside on the rare occasions when the sun shone. And uh, <laughs> I would just lie there in the long grass listening to the birds singing and the waves crashing on the seaside and, uh, you know, just looking at the sky. And one day I heard this most wonderful bird song. And from behind me, a bird flew up in a kind of spiral going higher and higher. And as it went higher and higher, the notes got higher and higher. It was the most beautiful, beautiful sound. And it came down and as it descended, so the notes got lower and lower and lower. And it landed and walked away. So fast forward on to about three years before I had the implant, and Judy, who knew about mm -hmm. this uh, memory, brought me a CD of Vaughan Williams' The Lark Ascending. And so mm -hmm. with much mm -hmm. anticipation, we put that in to the CD player, press play, and I didn't hear a single note. It was massively depressing. So uh, that was also another big milestone in the fact that I simply couldn't hear higher registers, so in higher frequencies. So uh, fast forward to a good nine months after I had the implant, we decided to try this again. Put the CD into the player and uh, press play. And I heard every single note. Wow, that's and amazing. It's a most wonderful piece of music. And I can now listen to all kinds of music. Uh, I used to play the guitar and sing. As, you, as I said, my singing took a hit. Uh, I couldn't hear the guitar. I couldn't sing in tune to it. And so once I got my implant, I started working on that. It's fantastic. I was very depressed. I was a miserable, miserable person before, and I wasn't mm. all that nice to be around. I, um, mm. I couldn't really take part in family get-togethers. They would come around, say, for Sunday lunch, and eventually I'd drift away. I couldn't hear my little grandchildren because they had little high, pipey voices. So it sounds like your mental health improved in addition to your physical Hugely. health with cochlear implants. I, yeah. uh, I am a much happier person. Uh, I'm really quite jolly at times, some <laughs> would say. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I'm much happier. I can do lots, lots more things. I rang my elder daughter, Lucy, and said, hello, Lucy, this is Dad. And she said, can you hear me? And I said, yes. And she burst into tears and said, this is the first time I've been able to speak to you on the telephone for 10 years. Wow. Uh, it was wonderful. And so all of those things have improved. My social life has improved. I go to the theatre, although um, I can't hear everything, but it's so much better. I can mm -hmm. enjoy that. 
I love it. I can even hear the newscasts, although at the moment I'm not sure that I do want to listen to the newscasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's depressing. <laughs> How old were you when you got the cochlear implant? I was 74. Knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? That's a hard one because um, I think if I knew, what, as you say, what I know now, I would say get more advice, more information, talk to those others with hearing loss, get that advice and take it. So do something about things earlier than I did. I think one tends to look at hearing loss as some problems for older people. And of course it's not. I mean, mm -hmm. my hearing started to go in the thirties. Recognize that you have a hearing loss. Find ways of dealing mm -hmm. with it. Talk to your loved ones and the professionals uh, and don't let it get you down. Just battle and fight and find ways of getting around it. One of the things I realized after I'd had the implant, that not only had I lost the ability to hear, but I'd lost the ability to listen. So I stopped listening, I think, pretty early on uh, in my hearing loss. So I think I purposely tuned out. It was a cumulative effect, I think. And these things kind of creep up on you, you know. And yeah. it's only when other people say, you're a miserable devil. What is the problem with you? <laughs> uh, and I think they don't realize there's a lot of a lack of awareness of just how damaging hearing loss is. It's a kind of yeah. Cinderella of the disabilities because it's not visible. You, you can't see it. Mm -hmm. So it had a huge effect on every, every aspect of my life, my relationships with other people. What does your family say? What are your grandkids, your daughter, your wife? What, what do they say now about the Tony, like after the implant yeah, versus the yeah, Tony they, before? They are absolutely wonderful. I can talk to my grandchildren and they say, oh, grandpa heard me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they talk to me an awful lot, which is lovely. As I was at a little gathering, I, of course, previously, I just used to stand beside Judy, and she was my interpreter, basically. And it was a hell of a, mm -hmm. uh, a burden on her and uh, on other people. Uh, they couldn't talk to her without me being there. So maybe they wanted to say something about why is he so miserable? <laughs> but they couldn't. <laughs> it's about being able to communicate, about mm -hmm. to be able to talk to my godchildren. Uh, it's, it, it opens up every aspect of the world that hearing people take for granted. Do something about your hearing loss. Go and see your GP. Get referred. And if you like, put pressure on your audiologist to make things better for you. I mean, at a very crude uh, way, hearing aids only amplify sound. But goodness me, the difference now between that and the cochlear implant is unbelievable. I couldn't have had this conversation, for instance, uh, the only thing I would say is don't be afraid of things like cochlear implants, of using uh, hearing aids. There's still an issue about people 
not wanting to put hearing aids behind their ears. I mean, they wear all kinds of things now, great big things sticking out of their ear with uh, Bluetooth and what have you. So, and you know, and people do what you you are doing now, sit there on the train or the tube yeah. with uh, a huge pair of headphones on, uh, nodding away in their own little world. So what's wrong with a hearing aid? And they're so sophisticated now. It's funny, I had someone who had cochlear implants actually tell me once that they were so afraid to wear a cochlear implant because of uh, the aesthetics and people might look at them. But what they didn't realize is that their hearing loss was so much more obvious than anything they might wear behind the ear. Absolutely, yes, yes. The other thing, of course, is people don't have a problem about wearing glasses. So what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Tony, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Your story is incredibly inspiring. So I really appreciate you taking the time and waking up early to join us on Hearing Health today. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. It was great speaking to you. And it's such a privilege to share my story with other people. I hope it helps. It certainly does. Well, thanks again, Tony. Building on the theme of a new lease on life and the many benefits of cochlear implantation in the older adult population, I wanted to bring in another perspective from Dr. Isabel Monnier, a Paris-based expert on hearing loss, aging, and cognition. Dr. Monnier, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Hearing Health Today. Uh, Hello, it's a pleasure for me to be here and to speak with you. And where are we reaching you today? I speak from Paris, so uh, I'm in charge of the Reference Center for Cochlear Implantation in Paris. And I'm in uh, the biggest hospital in Paris. The name is La Pitié Salpêtrière. It's in the center of Paris. And we do more than 200 TI in a year, uh, only in adult patients, because in Paris there are other hospitals for children. And in France, there are no audiologists, so I'm an ENT, but I'm specialized in audiology also. So I do surgery and a little bit audiology. That's interesting. So in a lot of parts of the world, those responsibilities are split, as you know, between a surgeon and an audiologist. So how does that work in France? How do you divide your time or what are some of the challenges or the benefits, I guess, of doing both surgery and audiology? So the benefit is to follow the patient before, after, to see the test result. It's very interesting, but mm-hmm. uh, the problem is sometimes we miss specialists to perform a very, very precise evaluation in noise. And usually mm-hmm. we do it in my department, but mm-hmm. in other departments which do uh, current ENT, the ENT surgeon, they are not very specialized in audiology. So it's sure. a problem for that. So when you receive a referral for a candidate who may receive a cochlear implant down the line, do you end up following that patient for several years after surgery or do you refer them back into the community? No, no, no. In France, uh, it's it's a law. We have, when okay. we receive someone, we do the, the tests, the evaluation, we implant him. And then we follow for several years. And it's wow, a problem okay. for the future because uh, mm. the population increases and increases. So yeah. uh, it's a problem for the, for the next years. And in yeah. my department, the next problem is that we also receive children who have been implanted in pediatric hospitals. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when they are adults, we have to follow them uh, also. So it's uh, the second problem. 
Yeah. So is that something that you guys are managing through, I guess, as your numbers grow? Yeah. I guess the number of professionals and physicians you have also has to grow. Yeah. I have to explain uh, that to the authorities to obtain more and more specialists and so on. And uh, it takes a lot of time. One topic I wanted to dive deep with you on is around cognition. Given the fact that you get to follow adult patients for several years, either before or post-implantation, I think you have a really interesting perspective to look at how cognition is related to hearing. And I know you have a body of evidence and publications that you've worked on that talk about the linkage between the two. And I I just wanted to, maybe as an opening question, ask you how you got into the research around cognition and hearing loss. So it's a long story. We we began a a long time ago because in 2000, the topic on CI was focused mainly on pediatric CI. And we did only adults. And we explained that the, the future of the hearing and the CI, it's perhaps also elderly patients. So we began in 2000 and we studied uh, the the result with the elderly patient and we published a retrospective study to evaluate our patient. But at that time, uh, um, CI uh, firms are not very interesting in that topic and they realized that the number of elderly patients will be grow and grow, whereas Mm -hmm. the number of uh, pediatric patients with uh, profound hearing loss remain stable over time. Yep. So it's a very interesting topic. And and then we met uh, geriatricians uh-huh. uh, who were interested in cognition. And we decided perhaps in 2010 yep. uh, to evaluate uh, to, uh, cognition in our patients. And uh, so we did uh, the first study uh, who has been published in 2015 uh, with a follow-up of one year. And then we decided to evaluate the patient again, and we published a second study with a follow-up of a group of patients uh, evaluated seven years after CI, and we analyzed cognition before, one year after implantation, and seven years after implantation. And what did you find? What, what did those studies show? The first conclusion was, for the first study, that in our group of patients who are deaf, Mm-hmm. Uh, the percentage of patients with a mild cognitive impairment represents 50% of the patients. Well, wow. okay. At that time, now we can say perhaps it's not surprising because now we know that hearing loss, even mild and moderate hearing loss, is the first modifiable risk factor of uh, dementia. It has yeah. been published in July in the Lancet once mm-hmm. again. So. But seven years ago, it was something Not new. well understood, yeah. Yes. We thought that perhaps the percentage was lower because uh, uh, our population, uh, it's a population in good health, even though they are elderly, very good there, they are, they are motivated, they, are, they, they did sport and they want to change something. So they are not representative of the elderly population. It's a different population. I want to say that in the total population uh, over 65 years, the percentage of MCI is between 5 and 90%. And when you say MCI, you mean mild cognitive impairment? Yeah. Hmm. Whereas in uh, CI recipients, it's 50%. Even though they are in very good health, Mm -hmm. 
So it was our first result. And the second result is about the evolution of cognitive disorders. In the global population, patients who have MCI, five years later, is 50%. And in our population, it was 6% developed dementia. So most of our patients are a stabilization of the cognitive disorders or an improvement of mm. cognitive Do you feel like age is a defining factor in determining whether or not to proceed with cochlear implantation for adults? Do you consider that as part of the criteria that you look through when evaluating candidates? No, it's not. uh, 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 the, the, The age, we have no limitation of age in our inclusion criteria, which are defined by the health ministry. And we consider not the the age, but we consider uh, the autonomy of the patient, uh, motivation, the family care, and uh, even the cognition, patients who have uh, MCI, they are very good candidates for that because Mm. a part of them will improve their cognition after the cochlear implantation. I implanted a a lady, uh, uh, several ladies are uh, 92. Wow. And good outcome? Good outcome. They use it. Uh, the problem is that for a part of them, they have a long duration of hearing loss. Yeah. They came too late, so mm. it depends. But they, they use it and they were very happy uh, with, uh, with the CHI. So you said something interesting earlier that for patients that have a mild cognitive impairment, if they receive a cochlear implant, you often see an improvement in their MCI? Yeah. Do, so does that mean that their cognitive impairment lessens or get, gets better or that it stays more stable? Half and half, I can okay. say. Part of them are stable. So I can say 6% developed dementia after seven years. It was not five years, it was seven years. 61% remain stable and 32% obtain normal cognition, return to normal cognition. Interesting. That's fascinating. Speaking more generally about the patients, the adult patients that you um, implant, if if they have a cognitive impairment or are prone to potentially develop a cognitive impairment, how is their um, quality of life after implantation? Is that also improve? Is that something that you guys have been able to track and see? So in the study, we also evaluated that using the Nijmegen questionnaire. And we observe okay. that for all the patients with MCI or without MCI, there are very huge improvements of all the subdomains of quality of life. So 100% across the board yeah. improvement. Yeah. Wow. And how big was the study again? Sorry, how many patients? Uh, 94. That's, wow, okay. So 100% improvement in quality of life yeah. for all 94 all patients. All of them, and even seven years later, the scores obtained in the night Megan questionnaire one year later was stable over a year. Seven years later. Hmm. Before, I, I thought that because they, they become elder, the score will be decreased. But in fact, there are no change. The score are absolutely stable. Their speech score remains stable over time and the quality of life remains stable. So when you tell this to general practitioners, geriatricians, hearing aid specialists, are they surprised when you when they hear these results? Yeah, sure. They are surprised. And I'm sure that when I do a conference, all of them, they are convinced. I can observe that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. 
And we received some letter from patients explaining to us that uh, it's a new life for them. I hear again my little children, uh, even though it's, it remains difficult in, uh, when we are in the restaurant or so on, but it's a pleasure to hear again my little children in quiet and so mm. on. So they, they explain they are very, very happy. Wow, that's incredible. I've heard from other healthcare professionals, sometimes from people who would refer into CI centers, other times from from surgeons, that there is some hesitation implanting older adults, and they're not quite sure if they should proceed with implanting a patient who's you know in their late 80s or early 90s. Given your experience, what advice would you have for those healthcare professionals? General practice practitioner, they have to, 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 to send the patient to the reference center because our evaluation before the CIs is, is uh, important and we evaluate the motivation. The motivation is very important. And we also mm-hmm. sometimes uh, send the patient to a speech therapist before the CI to evaluate if they can follow the hearing rehabilitation program, if they are motivated to do that. After this evaluation, usually we are sure of the of the results and of the device. Mm. So I explained, send the patient. We did the evaluation. We can evaluate the motivation. We have uh, the experience. And if the patient is not motivated, of is, if it's afraid of the hearing rehabilitation program, usually the patient says, stop. I stop. And... Uh, Sometimes we also say uh, it's not a good indication. Is another way to say that, that when in doubt, refer? Like if you think this patient could possibly be a candidate, what's the harm in referring? Refer and refer to do the follow-up because if we see the patient each year, uh, we can decide if there is a decrease of the hearing. Yes, it's a good moment. You have to to do it now. Sometimes we see some patients who are not in the uh, indication uh, because they are they still have good speech scores with their hearing aids. Mm-hmm. But if we observe yep. a decrease of one year, then mm-hmm. we can say, now you have to do it this year. So it's very important yes. also to have the patient before. And it's easier for the patient because they receive the information on CI. They know exactly yeah. uh, how it works, mm-hmm. uh, how it, uh, the, the hearing rehabilitation program. And so when they observe that they it's more and more difficult. They arrive sometimes, uh, they call spontaneously and say, it's too difficult for me. I want to have the CI. So it's easier also for the patient. And most of them, they are very happy to receive the information of, on CI and they, it's easier after. And I guess it might help prevent that situation where someone doesn't show up until 10, 15 years after when they should have shown up. If someone's being referred early, maybe before they're a candidate, it helps make sure that they're in the right place when they ultimately do become a candidate. Exactly. Yeah. They have to, to be referred very early. My conclusion will be don't wait too long. Uh, refer the patient and the cognition, cognitive disorders. It's not a contraindication. We have to say that again and again. Yeah. And, uh, hmm. Uh, I like that. Cognitive impairment is not a contraindication. Cognitive impairment is not a contraindication. When we see the patient, we we screen the patient with very quick tests, screening tests, such as uh, MOCA, the Montreal Mm -hmm. uh, Cognitive uh, 
a scale and we have another French test with the, which is a codex and we we uh, we refer the patient uh, to neuropsychologist if we don't know well exactly the cognitive disorders and I can say that for most patients the, the, the neuropsychologists say the main problem so, uh, th there are some cognitive disorders, but it's usually sure. attention, and it's because of the hearing loss. And so the no yeah, neurotechnologists okay. implant them, they have to improve their hearing, and the, the, the cognition will be better because usually in MCI disorders, in hearing-impaired uh, patients, attention and executive function is impaired. And so it's, it can explain why after hearing improvement they perform best yeah interesting and they are they, they are not isolated they can communicate again so they are they are not exhausted as before when they communicate so it, it could be the explanation would you say that most geriatricians are aware or there's still a bit of an awareness problem uh, they are more aware in my hospital, I, I, I can give you some, some figures. Yep, in sure. France, we have a national registry on CI. So it means okay. that each patient who are operated on, they yeah. are recorded in that register and we have a follow-up for more than five years now. Mm -hmm. So we know exactly the number of CI in France. And uh, we know that in France, 20% of the population are over 65 years. Okay. So it means that uh, we have uh, 13 millions of people who are more than uh, 65 years. The percentage of uh, profound hearing loss is about 2%. So we mm -hmm. have 260,000 people who are profoundly deaf. Mm -hmm. And only 300 patients have implanted in a year. And yeah. the number is stable. So it means that Less than 2% of elderly patients over 65 years are CI recipients. So there are no limitations because of, of refunding. So there's other barriers. Yeah. There is another problem. And uh, the other patients, perhaps a part of them are in poor health, they are institutionalized, so they can't receive the CI. But I'm sure that the main problem that it, the, the, the professionals they are not aware of the of the impact of hearing loss on cognition and on the benefit of hearing rehabilitation. I'm curious, if there aren't audiologists in France, what professional would a patient go to to get a hearing aid? The ENT, they send the patient to the name is audioprothesis. So audioprothesis, they adapt the hearing aids, they have some shops, yep. and okay. they fit the hearing aids. Sure, like a hearing aid specialist, sort of. Yeah. But uh, it's a ENT, and some of them they they don't uh, they they are not aware of the, the impact of uh, hearing loss and of the benefit of uh, uh, of CI. But even uh, ENT they they have to be uh, informed. We try yeah. to do it, but a part of them they are not very interested in in that topic. If general practitioners, ENTs, geriatricians. Do you think if they were all aware of this linkage between cognition and hearing loss, you'd see a higher degree of referral? A small part of them. Okay. We have to work a lot on that. Mm -hmm. It's insufficient. 
I, I, I just I did a TV recording on that topic and yeah. and so on. Uh, even in, in, for example, we have a national congress of ENT, and when we, when we organize a session on that topic, there are very few people in the room. It's just not a topic that's top of mind at the moment. So that that year we tried to organize a strong uh, day uh, to to better inform the, the population, but. Unfortunately, the COVID arrived yeah. and it was uh, delayed. But uh, yeah. So, in your studies, were you able to show a significant benefit for CI implantation as it relates to cognitive impairment versus the general public or untreated hearing loss? What did no, that look like? There was no control group. It was okay. the, the limitation of the study. It's very difficult to have a control group for ethical reason. Sure. Because uh, CI it's a rambles. So it's very difficult to explain to the patient to wait a couple of years of, of months to mm-hmm. obtain the CI, especially in elderly patients. So the benefit of CI is so well documented that if you found a patient who qualified, it brings up ethical questions about whether or not it would make sense to not implant them for the purposes of creating a control group. But it's very difficult. Up to now, there is no real control studies yeah. mm-hmm. with a randomize control groups sure. for the same reasons. How do you think we could answer that question as a community? More and more uh, in clinical study, they, they realize the difficulty in that kind of study to have a control group. Yeah. And uh, the geriatrician and the neurologist, when they saw my, the result of my study, they say there is, it's, it's evidence that mm-hmm. it's a result of the hearing rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. I have to, to add that in France, all the patients have a speech therapy after yeah, okay. the CI. It's not the case in all the countries. Sure. So speech therapy includes a cognitive thera- therapy. Dr. Monnier, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, thanks again for joining us on Hearing Health today. Thank you. It's, it was a pleasure to be with you and to speak of one of my favorite topics. <laughs> and thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure you press the subscribe button and give us a rating and a review. If there's a particular topic you'd like us to cover, please mention it in your review. We'd love to hear from you. You can find all the links to what was discussed in today's podcast in the description and stay tuned for our next episode. In the meantime, stay safe. Just a quick reminder, the views of the interviewees in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Cochlear Limited or its subsidiaries. This material is intended for health professionals. If you are a person with hearing loss or a member of the general public, please seek advice from your health professional about treatments for hearing loss. Outcomes may vary, and your health professional will advise about the factors which could affect your outcome.